Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, what's going on? What's up, my dude? Eh, you know, chilling, getting ready to pod. That's always fun. Excited. We're we're uh, on the second part of our sojourn, the Genre Exposure Summer of Love. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, we've conveniently reached episode 69. It's almost like I planned this or something. <laughs> Nice. Uh, so we're continuing our exploration. <laughs> we're weird children. Yes, we are. This is. Ah, I got you. I got you. Here we go. Episode sixty-nine. We're talking about uh, pink films, specifically Nakatsu's big budget stab at them. Their infamous, legendary Rowan porno series. Continuing our exploration of those and all that they entail. Um, and we didn't have a cool guest to bring on to talk about. <laughs> These with us because <laughs> nobody wants yeah, to. Surprisingly, no one wanted to or was available. Uh, so we picked one of just the most <laughs> iconic in the whole like series across the board, uh-huh. Flower and Snake, directed by Masaru Kanuma from 1974. Yes, which was the start of their uh, S and M series. Mm. So lots more on that to dig in and how it kind of impacted Nakatsu over the years. I don't know why someone didn't want to come here in our basement and talk to us about this stuff. There's definitely not a bunch of rope over to the side there. <laughs> I got some stuff rigged up in the ceiling. Um, but first, before we uh, descend into the depravity of this film, we're going to do all the usual stuff. We're going to talk about what we've been watching. And I got some up top, shouty outy talk about things. Uh-huh. Um, I, I hit you with like a good and a bad. Or a positive and a negative, let's say that. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted to share that the JFF Plus Independent Cinema is going on right now. That's an online film festival. Uh, it's totally free. You just have to register an account on their website, and they just use that to track like who's watching stuff and all of that. Um, it's available anywhere in the world outside of Japan, and it's basically just a film festival of indie Japanese cinema. That's fun. Uh, very easy to log on to, very easy to navigate. You can just search JFF plus independent cinema. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. It started August 1st and it's running until October 31st. Oh, long so time. good long time. Uh, I think when it hits that 31st date, it will just kind of all shut down. So even if you were in like the middle of something, you want to finish it before then. Um, I scrolled through there. There's a lot of dramas, but I did see some interesting things. Um, and a lot of it is like more indie, right? So you're not going to mm-hmm. see any like super big names that you recognize. Right. But um, it's awesome that they do this. It's awesome that they make it free and it's very accessible. I'm assuming it's subtitled. Yeah, yeah. everything's subtitled. Um, so it's just an opportunity to get at some cool Japanese cinema. Like, you know, if you listen to the show regularly, I'm always being like, I watched blah, 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 weird Japanese movie. And then you <laughs> go, how did you watch it, Dustin? And I'm like, mm, <laughs> there's no real way to watch it. So, so, you know, bless these people. They're actually trying to get out there and get this stuff out there so that other people around the world can get at it yes. and appreciate it. So go look into that. Go show them some love. Yeah. Nice. Our other bit of news, <laughs> a little more personally relevant to the podcast, I guess. Um... There is a new film in the Muckverse. Yes. <laughs> Jason's giving me this deadpan stare. It's called Fog City, It's called right? Fog City, yeah. It's kickstarting now, and it's got a really short runtime. It's only got, like, I think it launched with, like, nine or ten days for the whole project. Yeah. So. That, that, that speaks of confidence. So I think 
if everything goes to plan, and once this episode airs, there'll be like a day or two left of the Kickstarter. Uh-huh. I'll link it in the show notes, and you can go check it out. Right. Well, they're halfway um, there, right? Yeah, yeah, they're about halfway to their goal. So um, this is kind of like kill, a Kill Her Goat situation where the film's already done, totally finished, wrapped, and in the can, finalized, mm-hmm. 100%. The Kickstarter is just to make a physical media release. They're doing a very fancy run of um, laser-etched numbered steelbooks. Uh, it looks cool if you like still books. Sure. I'm not really big on those. But, I'm not huge on them either. Uh, comes with a 4K disc, comes with a Blu-ray disc, comes with a digital download code for the film. What about a VHS copy? Uh, they didn't do that this time, I guess. Hmm. Um, and it's all the things you come to know and maybe appreciate about the Muckverse. It's uh, all practical effects, no CGI at all. I do applaud that. All, all, all that good stuff. Um, I, I noticed scrolling through there were no porn stars in See, the cast list this time. That's a check in the minus column for me. <laughs> it was actual actual actors and actresses <laughs> uh, with credits and other film appearances. Hey, don't say that some performers <laughs> in the adult industry aren't actors. Because some of them are very, very good actors, sir. I just I go back to kill her goats, you know. And just <laughs> I didn't say wow. all of them. I said some of them. Um. So yeah, it is what it is. I, I know we rag on this director a lot, Steve Walsh, but... He's so making some, movies, man. Some of that's punched up, and it's cool that he is keep making movies. Yep. And um, he's got a vision. I admire his spirit. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say something nice for him. I, I admire his spirit and his like passion for this. That it's always you know he wants to push that no CGI. There's yep. always that care about we have to have a physical media release. I respect that. Um, I respect the hell out of that. He's clearly a horror fan trying to appeal to horror fans. Mm-hmm. So somewhere somewhere in the back of my mind, uh, beneath all the like pu- pushed up jokes that I've made on the show. I want him to succeed a little bit. <laughs> well, sure. Um, we always want a good movie. I never root for a bad movie. So will will Fox City be that? Will it will it uh, plateau beyond the world of Kill Her Goats? I don't know. We'll see. Premise sounded a little like the crazies and Cabin Fever. Kind of it's like a there's a fog outbreak. Or the fog. Some some weird fog gets released in the city and it makes people go crazy mm-hmm. or infects them or something. Yeah. Um, it looks to be a bit more psychological mm-hmm. than his uh, earlier films. Perhaps. <laughs> we still have the ass cam in the trailer. So. Well, you gotta have that. I'm not getting rid of that. <laughs> and you know that, too. That's also a throwback to the whole like classical style sure. of horror films. So. Um, but uh, Kane Hodder is not in this one. Kane Hodder, no. Kane Hodder appearance, no. Hmm. Um, so yeah, you be the judge if you want to support that or not. And uh, you know that at least I will let you know what it's like once it comes out. Yep. Always truthful. I'll always give it to you straight. <laughs> I already committed to continuing my my <laughs> sojourn in the muckverse, so we'll see what happens. Dustin is a dyed in the wool muckhead. Yep. Ooh, muckhead. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's. Oh, they, I'm coined they, that. I don't, like I don't know. Base. I hope no one else has taken yeah. that, mm. but I'm, I'm claiming credit for it right here, right now. You should. Uh, you should reach out. <laughs> you should start a fan club. <laughs> yeah, the founding member doesn't really care for them, but <laughs> it comes from a place of place of love. I assure you. Okay, well, what have you been watching? Okay, um, well, I hung out with our absent pod co-host, Michael. <gasps> I'm jealous. Yeah, I know you were working, because mm. you're such a devoted worker. Yeah. Uh, we watched the DVD I picked up for him, The History of Metal and Horror. Oh, cool, yeah, I remember you guys talking about this. Yeah, it's directed by Mike Schiff. Mm. It was not what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't bad, but it was a little kind of typical. I thought it was going to be more of an exploration of the horror films that have used metal in them. Okay. 
sure. you know, things like Trick or Treat, Hard Rock Zombies, mm. that kind of thing, Black Roses. And it just barely mentioned those. It was, it was more about the shared aesthetics between heavy oh, okay. metal and horror. So, like, the fact that, like, Guar puts on costumes. And, right. And Alice Cooper mm-hmm. has his spooky stage show yeah. and all that stuff, right? I mean, that's cool, too. It was, yeah, I mean, there were some cool interviews. Had Alice, had Gore, you know, Rob Zombie, the people you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I really want to see something that is just about those movies that were made largely in the 80s. Rock and Roll Nightmare, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, the yeah. ones that were about heavy metal in a horror film. Hmm. Know, maybe someone can do that. Cool. Well, maybe one day. Maybe. Maybe we should do it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the right one for that. But <laughs> you and Michael, for sure. I'll, I'll cheer you on, for sure. <laughs> you could be my grip or something. <laughs> okay. What's the What's the one? Is it, is it Best Boy? I want to be that. Yeah, you can yeah. be the Best Boy. Absolutely. <laughs> did you watch so, anything else, or is that... Um, got kicking around. Honestly, I I have been so bad watching mm-hmm. movies lately because things have just been kind of nuts. Okay. Um, so that's really the only f- movie I have to talk about. Mm-hmm. Sadly, you're saying that like you have a show you really want to talk about though. Well, I did watch Ahsoka. Oh, okay. the first couple episodes. Well, I'll talk about it. <laughs> well, I am a Star Wars fan. I know that you have fallen <laughs> from the light yourself. Um. I don't like everything Star Wars, of course. Uh, Ahsoka is good. I'm not going to say great so far. It's only two episodes in. I think they need to get away from using the cartoons and all the lore mm-hmm. and stuff and start doing something a bit more independent. Well, hey, don't worry. I saw that they uh, shut down that studio, so they're not going to make any more cartoons. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, like animation department that did the Clone Wars. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, okay. Saw a little news piece about that. And like Rebels and all that? And yeah. And Bad Batch and stuff? Pretty sure. Huh. Okay. I'll have to look that up. Anyway, because um, I think this, I don't see people who aren't familiar with like Rebels and Clone Wars and mm-hmm. stuff. A lot of investment this. to get, right. get to the plot. Because it's, it's like me in the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. I just don't care because I don't want to keep up with it, you know? So I think they really need to do something different. And something isolated, standalone. Otherwise, I think they're just going to start losing more viewers. But if you are familiar with all those things, I think there's a lot to like in Ahsoka. Ray Stevenson is awesome. He's mm-hmm. the actor that recently passed away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, plays a, he plays a dark side user named Balin. I like his look in the trailer. He looks cool, yeah. and he is, he's very charismatic. Like, we don't know much about him, but I kind of want a show about him. Mm-hmm. Sure could use a good villain like that in the movies instead of, uh, you know, Snoke or whoever don't say, else. I, don't they, say Kylo Ren. I like Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren's like the only redeemable part of all that. But Hux was good until they ruined him in the last one. Well, there you go. <laughs> all right. So anyway, okay, that's well, my Star Wars news. Neat. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Ahsoka, if you dig Star Wars, you'll dig it. Yeah, you'll like it. Yeah, it won't blow you away. So again, only two episodes in, but but if you haven't, go back and watch all. Go watch all of Rebels, all, all of Clone Rebels, Wars, all of Clone Wars, Bad Mandalorian, Bad. Boba Fett. <laughs> that continuity. What have you been watching, man? Okay, well, I followed up on something from an earlier episode. Uh, I went to check out Mortal Kombat Legends: Battle of the Realms from 2021. This is the second direct-to-video animated feature ah. for Mortal Kombat. Uh, continues where the first one, Scorpion's Revenge, left off. 
it's kind of adapting game two and three, the plot of that. So that's the uh, the arrival of Shao Kahn and his invasion of Earth. Oh yeah, Shaka Khan. Yeah, badass warlord dude with the big hammer. Um, it's pretty much more the same. I really liked it. Uh, it was super enjoyable, especially if you have any background with the games. You get see all the characters, all the iconic like interactions and moves and stuff. Uh, it was a little too rushed, I think. It's only like 80 minutes, but it's doing the plot of two different games. Mm. And then they also threw in some like plot from the later ones because they get into the whole like um, the concept of like the Elder Gods and Shinnok and trying to like raise him from the dead. Which I think was like the fourth game, and on when they got into like the 3D Mortal Kombat's. Yeah, that's after I tuned out. Um, and so that they kind of like smashed that in at the end too to give like a resolution to everything, and it it was way too much going on at once. Like it probably should have been two movies, but right. Other than that, it was super fun, super gory again. Nice, very brutal. Did it have like one of the things I liked about the second game was all the cool like outworld settings? Yeah, did they use a lot of that? In they the did. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, even like a lot of the fights, like when they end up actually in like a one v one fight, it'll be one of the maps from the arcade game. Kind of like reimagined and animated. Yeah, those floating dudes in the robes behind them and everything. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so pretty fun. Uh, I think there's like one more that kind of adapts some of the later game plot, and I know they're. I think they're working on a prequel about Johnny Cage set during the '80s. Mm. I think it's kind of supposed to be when he like jumped from being just actor to being like actual. Martial artist. Interesting. Know. Cool yeah. that they're continuing them. But that's whatever. There's another film that I really want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I saw, over the weekend... Barbie. Talk to me. Oh. Woo! I didn't know you went to go yes. see that. I was keeping it a secret. Oh, my gosh. What um, do what, what, what you think? So what spoilers, I wanna, of course. What I want to say about this film, spoiler-free, is that it is one of the best horror films of this year. Really? Yes. Okay. I, I swear by it. I'm dying on that hill fucking amazing and it's weird because if you put it to paper like i'm literally like i'm not gonna spoil spoil but i'm gonna tell you the plot right now like this is the plot mm-hmm. it's some teens mm-hmm. they get a thing that lets them interact with the spirits and ghosts yeah they fuck around with it someone gets possessed they're gonna die unless they can save them and fix it somehow hmm. boom that's the plot that's the whole plot it's the most conventional you already yeah. know it you've it, seen it you've done it, it sounds like every other horror movie these days however the execution is so so good the, the characters, the way they build them up. Um, I think the production company that was in on this was also the one connected to the Babadook, okay. I want to say. And it had a lot of those same vibes. Like, there's a heavy, like, grief storyline that kind of pulls through on everything. Um, the li- littlest bit I'll set up is this. So the main character, Mia, which uh, Sophie Wilde plays her. She's amazing in this. Um, she's stricken with grief because her mom died. She committed suicide seemingly, but she doesn't want to accept it. And she thinks there has to have been like something between her father, who she's kind of estranged from, and her mom. And it was like that he's responsible or he let it happen. or She like is, is obsessed and like fixated on that. And that kind of informs a ton of the movie. Because as they get into this whole like, oh, you can use this weird relic to like speak with the dead. She starts to want to be like, well, can I speak to my mom? Can I find out what happened? And it goes into that whole realm of like, you know... Uh, any film that has like a Ouija board or any kind of concept like that, like when you when you get something, how do you know that's what you're actually talking to? Is that the person? Right. Is it someone pretending to be them? Right. Is it even them anymore? Is it something else now? And yeah, man, like there's there's a lot of brutal moments, especially when people start getting possessed. Dude, fucking like rips his eye out at one point. Uh, really gory, really intense. 
really good, like, somber mood. It's the total, like, perfect A24 kind of film where it's got that, like, little artsy vibe, but a lot of it's just, like, it's focusing on the drama and the emotions and the characters. Would you say it's elevated horror? Uh, people will go online and say it's elevated horror and that it wasn't scary at all and they don't see what the big deal is. Sure. Oh, but it's a big deal. These, these guys are going to be big. The what was it Michael and Danny Filippo? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I saw that um, they apparently had already shot a prequel for this kind of like found footagey style. I don't know when that's going to get out there, but um, they do kind of the it follows motif where it's like someone had the hand before, and you get a little of that in the intro. Mm. And so at one point they're trying to backtrack, like where did this come from? What's the story about it? What's mm-hmm. the legend? Why does it work the way that it does? Yeah. You got to do some research. Yeah, and and in the course of that they learn the story of that guy, and I guess they like shot incidental extra stuff to kind of make that story its own thing. And they've already been slated to make a sequel for it. So, Oh, wow. Uh, blowing up big. So we're putting like a T. West with his uh, X-Universe yeah. thing. We're secretly filming sequels. And <laughs> yeah, apparently. Uh, which is awesome. And I, I second it was done, I was like, I want more of this. I want more of these creators doing things. Cool. So I'm down for it. Well, I see it's still playing in our local theater. Should I catch it in the theater? You should. I think it's worth it. It was okay. so good. Uh, Tiffany went with me. She fucking loved it as well. Um, and then the actual, like, the hand, the relic that mm-hmm. they use, it's so fucking cool and so iconic of, like, there will be, like, shirts and replicas of that, and yeah. it's going to be everywhere, I think, once people get to see it, because it's like, uh, I won't give you the whole history, but it's like, supposed to be the hand of a medium that could apparently, like, channel spirits and stuff, and at some point, someone, like, chopped it off, mm. and then they, like, plastered it and turned it into this, like, relic, and the hand still works, even though the medium's dead now. Interesting. Okay. Cool. So super compelling, right, super right. amazing. I've been meaning to go see it, so I oh, guess I'll just maybe break I'm down coming out swinging for it. Wow. I also want to go see The Last Voyage of the Demeter. You know, I'm curious about that one, but I'm also skeptical just because, and I know I'm not even the first person to say this, but it's like, how can you turn that one part of Dracula into a movie? But. Well, I mean, I it is know. a part of the, it's it's one thing we didn't see mm-hmm. in in the book, you know. We don't know exactly what happened, so it's, it's ripe for, you know. But I saw uh, Stephen King drop some praise for it, so maybe. Well, I like the director a lot. And it's got Liam Cunningham in it. He's great. Hmm. And, you know, let me some Dracula. I'll tell you, if you got to pick one, I'm, I'm going to go out for Talk and, to and Me. Maybe I'll do a double feature. Who knows? Make okay. up for all that lack of movie watching I've get, been doing. Getting lately. ballsy, okay. Yeah. yeah. Do I'll it. Do it. I'll do it. Do it. <laughs> So today we resume our legendary run through the world of Nikatsu Roman Porno. Talking today about 1974's Flower and Snake, directed by Masaru Kanuma. Indeed. Indeed. And there's a lot of places we could start. This is this is an interesting film, especially taking it and then comparing it back to our first episode with uh, Zoom Up Rape Site. Um... And I guess I'll drop this now. We didn't drop it at the top, but it should be self-evident if you listen to the last episode. This is an erotic film. This is a film with a lot of S and M content. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, shocking and perhaps arresting 
visuals that you'll be put through. Yeah, and so, th- this one is more graphic than the previous one, mm-hmm. despite the previous one's <laughs> title. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. Um, so yeah, you know, know your limits, know what you're cool with. If you don't think this is a film you want to check out or even hear about or learn about, we understand and we respect you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, you have been warned. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> so I thought, where do we start with this? Because we kind of need to lay down some concepts, right? Sure. So um, I guess let's top level. I'm going to hit you with the synopsis. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the genre. And then maybe we'll go off on a little side path. Okay. So here's our synopsis. The elderly Senzo Toyama orders his employee, Makoto Katagiri, to kidnap and train his wife, Shizuko, in order to break her pride so that she will submit to his carnal desires. Sounds like your typical, you know, what we've come to know as pink films from Japan, right? Sounds pretty spot on. Yeah. So what genre is this, besides being an erotic film? (laughs) Well, it lacks the thriller horror vibe mm-hmm. that we got with zoom up um oof this this one's almost pure erotica mm-hmm. i think i mean yeah there's a little bit of drama in there yeah. and uh almost a dark comedy too <laughs> i was going to ask if we should put comedy in there or not yeah. I, I never knew some of the parts that are funny i didn't know if they were meant to be funny you know, I think it's hard to take a lot of this seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I think it's I think it's winking a little bit. Mm-hmm. So officially, if you go on IMDb, it says it's a drama slash thriller. I I don't know about the thriller I don't part. Thriller yeah. aspect, no. That's like tenuous to me. I think yeah, they concentrated more on uh, Mikado's issues. Mm-hmm. You know, especially his past. That's yeah. more thriller esque, but that's barely touched upon, really. Mm-hmm. Anyway. We'll get to that. Okay. So before we go in, this is, again, this is like an quote-unquote S&M-focused thing. So I feel like with all, with all, with all the rope tying that ensues, we kind of need to define that a little bit, right? Because mm-hmm. depending on your level of Japanese-related media and cultural knowledge, you might come watch this and you'll be like, what, what the fuck is all of this? <laughs> why, why are there these weird rope patterns tied around everybody? Because it's Japan, all right? That's all I need to know. <laughs> so to rapidly run through this a little bit, we need to talk about kenbaku. So kenbaku means tight binding, um, which is the general term for this kind of bondage. I love stuff. how the Japanese have a term for everything. Um, and then I'll lay down some more terms for you. Kenbaku B means the beauty of tight binding. So that's mm-hmm. sort of the aesthetic of why this could be visually appealing to some people. Um so broadly, it's a Japanese style of bondage or BDSM, which involves tying a person up using simple yet visually intricate patterns. Usually, that's done through using several pieces of rope. Um, in Japan, this is usually a natural fiber rope, and it's referred to as asanawa. Okay. Um, the illusion is to use to the use of the rope to restrain prisoners as a symbol of power in the same way that stocks or manacles would be used in a more Western BDSM concept. Mm, okay. Gotcha. Do we need to define BDSM? I don't, I don't think we I don't do think in so. this day and age. If you're listening Everybody to this podcast, you probably know. Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you're torturing yourself, so you know all about BDSM. <laughs> That's literally the act of listening to us. So. <laughs> um, another term I want to lay down, so the word shibari. You'll see that a lot, too, if you look into these kind of concepts. 
Um, that's basically a term that's gotten into common use from Western people interested in this. Uh, really got very common in the 1990s. And it's just a term that's used to refer to the bondage art of okay. this style. Uh, in Japanese, shibari broadly means binding or tying. That's like the act of actively tying the person okay. by comparison. Uh, let's see. So shibari and kimbaku focus on the aesthetics and display of the body. As a result, and due to the manipulation of body parts using rope to achieve this, it is common, though not always required, for models or participants to be fully naked... And the art form regularly incorporates aspects of BDSM, such as erotic humiliation. Uh, it may be used for restraint, as well as solely being just a visual to look at. A little history. Mm -hmm. Bondage as a sexual activity first came to notice in Japan in the late Edo period. That would be like the 1600s to like the early 1800s. Um, the father of Kimbaku is considered to be Seiyu Ito. Uh, he started studying and researching hojojutsu, the art of binding a prisoner in war, and is credited of taking those concepts and then developing that into what became kenbaku. And he had noted in writings that he drew inspiration from other art forms of the time, including kabuki theater and the uh, ukiyo-e woodblock prints, mm. which of course are very iconic. Right. And I'll maybe throw one of those in the show notes if no one's ever seen them because they're beautiful. Right. Uh, Kimbaku became widely popular in Japan in the 1950s through specialist magazines such as Kiton Club or Yomakiri Romance. Um, these were some of the first publications to actually publish naked bondage photographs in print. Uh, in the 1960s, people such as Ikichi Osada began to appear and perform live S&M shows, and these shows involved usually a large amount of rope bondage. Uh, in the modern sense, these performers are referred to as nawashi, which means rope master, or bakushi, which is pulled from the term kinbakushi, which means bondage master. Nice. Jason's just nodding. Just, yeah, okay, yeah, all okay. right, keep going. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I pulled a bunch of stuff about the rope. I don't think we need to go that deep. I don't think so about either. That. I mean, if people are interested in this sort of thing, I'm sure there's resources out there for them. I'll throw you some links to get you going. Um <laughs> Okay, I want to talk about this. So the aesthetics of the bound person's position is very important. Uh, in particular, Japanese bondage is distinguished by its use of specific forms and aesthetic rules to the placement of a person's body. Uh, sometimes asymmetric and often intentionally uncomfortable positions are employed. In particular, this Japanese style of bondage is very much about the way the rope is applied, and the pleasure is more in the journey than the destination. In this way, the rope becomes an extension of the rope master's hands, and is acting as a form of communication between both individuals. Okay. Uh, Kimbaku is based on very specific rope patterns, and many of them were derived from this hojojutsu that I referenced a second ago. Um, but the main thing that um, Ito did was to modify these to make them actually safe and not threatening to an individual to be subjected to. That's um, thoughtful. <laughs> because, again, it was an, an art of like restraining prisoners of war. So the, originally they were deliberately designed to cause harm and be as uncomfortable as possible. Right. And he sort of stepped that into a place where you can't have this erotic element to it and you're not just like outright torturing a person. <laughs> um, and there's several iconic ties and like terms for those. I don't think we'll get into that. You see a lot of them in this film. Okay. So 
we can run with that. And that's all I wanted to say about Kenbaku, I think. Okay. I think we're good on that. All right. And is it true that this is one of the first films that really kind of featured that, that brought it, it to is. the mainstream, more or less? I guess I should lay down this part of the background, too. So this is based on a novel by Oniroku Dan. He was born in 1931, and he's considered Japan's best author of S&M fiction. Uh, and I think I want to lay this down now because there were things in the film when I watched it that I was confused about or like they didn't really make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And once I did some research, this whole context of the author and like where he was coming from, it changed my perception a little bit. Okay. So, right. um, so the director of this film, Masaru Kanuma, talking about Dan and sort of his writings, um, he says that the author described three purposes of S&M. It's for punishment, for confinement, and for a sense of shame. And he also went on to add that um, the author dislikes S&M as punishment. To me, his novels and screenplays are centered around the humiliation concept as being the forefront. And um, in other interviews, he's confirmed this, stating, uh, My book editors often confuse S&M with cruelty, and they try to get me to write something that's a punishment tale for them. However, this type of story is actually out of my realm. Those types of stories actually give me the creeps. Rather, my concept of S&M is a distorted sexual desire or a sense of extreme disorientation. I would call it a male fantasy derived from love, from seeing a beauty suffer through a sense of shame. Therefore, I would say that my style contains a romantic aesthetic and sometimes a decadent fragrance without a direct focus on torture. (laughs) Okay. Delicately put. Delicately put, yes. Um, then Konuma speaking of the sort of like protagonists and female characters in these novels. Um, he said that I think in his novels he's searching for the beauty of women. He creates an ideal woman and then proceeds to sell an S&M fantasy to his readers. And the interesting thing I think about this film is that um, Oniroku Dan and Naomi Tani were already kind of linked up together. So Naomi Tani plays our main heroine in this film, Shizuko, and she is one of like the queens of Roman porno. She's been in a ton of films, one of the very most iconic, and she was already linked up with Dan and kind of like interacting with him and working on some like indie actual pink films with him. Um, there was even a pink film adaptation of this story hmm. beforehand, and so it was kind of became a thing of like when Nakatsu was looking to bring people in, they really wanted to like get them on board and involved in some kind of project. But so, um, they had a very close relationship and Naomi Tani said in an interview that, um, his idea of a perfect film actress to portray one of his characters is that she must look good in a kimono. She needs to have long jet black hair and she has to have a certain amount of body fat against the trend of what would be the typical, like attractive, thin, you know, movie star ideal. And the reason for that is that so when the bondage rope ties are made, it leaves a clear impression on her skin and creates a certain different visual aesthetic Mm. than if they were just like very thin and fit. Right. Um, And she has to be able to look graceful under torture and have Mm. strong, vibrant facial expressions. And this was kind of Tani's specialty, right? Yes. Um, Down even said that uh, Tani like was the perfect ideal of that vision he had. She fit like every criteria in his mind that would be the perfect model. And he even used her as a model for several of the characters in different novels that he wrote. Okay. 
So I think it's important to note that the actress featured in this movie, she was cool with all this. Yes. You know, she was... Yep. She was cool with this. She was into if, this. If not into it, then certainly, you know, it was part of her art form. Um, <laughs> I didn't pull the quote I meant to, but there was a quote somewhere where she, like, admired the artistic... Okay. Like, again, that aesthetic of how it looks once you're tied up and kind of positioned and formed and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's important to note because with movies like this, I think a lot of people have that idea that women are being forced mm-hmm. into this sort of thing. And, and yes, sometimes they are, sadly. <laughs> yeah. But also a lot of times, no. Yeah. Nope. No, they're not. <laughs> um, and so she actually retired kind of suddenly at the height of her career in 1979. And there's a quote from Dan about this where he said, um, the moment I heard the announcement, I went into shock. To me, it was the end of the golden duo that had formed from us working together. In truth, I almost decided to quit writing at the time. Wow. I wonder why she quit. I couldn't dig up any information about that. So, I don't know. Uh, and then just to carry us along, so this was conceived to be the first S&M-focused Roman porno. Uh, and then that was joined later in the year from the same director with this, mostly the same cast, the film Wife to be Sacrificed, hmm. which is another work based on one of his novels. Um, and those two films are kind of credited with saving Nakatsu from financial collapse. Because even though these were popping off, it, was really, it wasn't until these two that it went into like overdrive. Okay. And just really exploded. Um. And so to recontextualize that a little bit, so again, we had coming into the 70s, Nakatsu was doing bad, they were facing bankruptcy. They decided, hey, we're going to mirror these pink films, do our own version of them. That seems to make a lot of money, which it worked, but by 1974, they were still having a tough year. They had no big hits, and they were struggling to kind of get that like wow factor to really like win, win at the box office. Mm-hmm. And so since the late 1960s, Tani was already considered a queen of pink. She had appeared in a ton of different low-budget independent pink films, and she was like one of those actresses that if you were into these, you were always talking about her. She was like Mm -hmm. iconic. Um, Since they started the Roman porno series, Nakatsu had been trying to recruit her into a film, but she had always refused because the studio was reluctant to try the S&M genre in a film. But Tani said, this is my specialty. If I'm doing one, it has to be an S&M film. It's her brand. <laughs> yep. And so I guess finally they kind of came to the table and they're like, you know, make your demands. We want to make this happen. And she said, it has to be s and film. I want it to be based on one of Dan's novels. And she even suggested Flower and Snake. Um, which again, they had already done a film version of this some years earlier as like an indie pink film. I think the ending one is, the indie one is called Flower and Snake Rearing the Flesh. Hmm. And that was released by Yamabe Pro. I could find no other info about it. Hmm. So okay. I don't even know if there's like a version out there we could get access to to watch. But um, So Nakatsu took that. They thought about it. And in the end, they agreed to it. But they knew that they had to also convince the author to get on board with this plan. And so they had a bunch of back and forth negotiations and talking about it. And there was a lot of disagreements because they were wanting to like tone down things from the novel mm-hmm. for the film. And then Dan is like, no, we got to do it you know, exact book to screen. And as they kind of worked it out, eventually finally he invited the director Konuma and the script writer, uh, Yozo Tanaka 
over to his house. He said, we need to meet in person and talk about this. And so they're over in the evening, and in the middle of this meeting, suddenly the power goes out in the house. And they're kind of freaking out. They don't really know what's going on. And then Don's like, no, no, it's, it's okay. It's no problem. Um, and he calls for someone to like come in and bring a light. And then in walks Naomi Tani in a kimono, and she has a lantern and lights it. Mm. And that was like a trick they had set up to be like, hey, we're going to take the deal. Do the film. Oh, nice. Very theatrical. <laughs> uh, between the two of them, the director and the scriptwriter, they agreed that the novel as it was was unfilmable. And that regardless of his desires, they had to make changes to the story. Unfilmable, like Naked Lunch unfilmable? or <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't think there's an English translation of the novel that I could find. Ah. So I, I was really curious about like what is right. the plot of the novel. But maybe if you are an intrepid individual that knows these things, you can share it with us. <laughs> yes, please do. We will uh, amend this episode. But uh, So, of course, Dan and Naomi Tani objected to this. Um, there was a lot of friction during the whole production back and forth about like plot concepts and ideas. Um, and then of this, Konuma said, uh, while we worked on the final script, Tani was very argumentative. However, I was very impressed with her change in attitude when we reached a finalized script. During the shoot, she never gave us a single problem. Instead, she was completely committed to the role. I had, I absolutely admire her professionalism. Nice. Um, so after the film came out, it was a huge success. It was everything that Nakatsu needed. It got them back in the game. And of course they knew we had to have a sequel, right? Got to have more, mm -hmm. got to churn out more, got to sure. have more. Um, Dan was bitter from the whole process. He didn't like the back and forth on the plot. He didn't like how much they had changed his novel in the end. Mm -hmm. And so he bowed out from working with them any further. It's too bad. Tani stayed in. She became a huge film star for them. Um, ultimately he did reconcile with the director and a lot of the crew and they kind of kept a friendly relationship, but he was never, uh, in the mix anymore. That's uh, that. A shame. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. I think that's all the background we need. Okay. Yep. I think we can dive into the story now. Get into it. So. We open with uh, our, our our lead, ostensibly, right? Mm -hmm. Makoto Katagiri. It's a scene bathed in red. Yes. Vibrant reds. Yep. And uh, Katagiri is played by Yasunori Ishizu. Mm -hmm. And yeah, in this scene, he is a little boy. And he sees what we... It's his mother mm -hmm. having sex with a man. Yep. Uh, and I have in my notes... Uh, black man, does this matter? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he has such a violent reaction. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, this is a little kid, and he you know, maybe doesn't understand what's going on. He thinks his mom is being hurt or Well, let whatever. me give you some more context, too. He's, okay. he's also an American soldier. Yes, he's a GI. This implied this is during the occupation. Sure. After World War II. Yeah. So the kid grabs his M1911 <laughs> and yeah. shoots him with it. Fucking kills him. Yeah, but the guy, I mean, he's a tough fucker. He takes it right in the chest, but he gets up and he's like choking him. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of, the camera pans away and you hear another gunshot. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Makoto's screaming out for his mom while he's being choked and all that good stuff. And we, where, where is he today after this traumatic experience? Well, he is a, uh, what well, you say he's like in his 30s probably? Yeah, I think. he actually says he's 30. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, he says a thirty-year-old loser lives with his mom. <laughs> wow. Um, his mom is, but not uh, in the basement. There's other things going on in the basement. He has to be in the attic because there's <laughs> the basement is needed because his mother Mio, played by Hiroko Fuji, operates a uh, pornography company of a sorts. Sure does. Where they do um, Kenbaku and film it and take pictures and. Yeah, I love the reveal here because Makoto gets up from his dream and he's like, oh, that nightmare again. And he's like getting a glass of water or something. Mm -hmm. And he hears some noises coming from the basement. And he goes down and opens the door and you just see all these women trussed up. Yep. And like, yeah, men taking pictures and stuff. It's funny because as he's wandering around, there's like faint moans. Yeah. Like, wait, what? Right. (laughs) And then it cuts to him just sitting on the stairs, like having his drink and just watching. Mm Mm-hmm. And the the one uh, the one model gets scared when she notices him. Yeah, and she's like, "He keeps staring at me." Oh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're just kind of like, "Hey, Makoto, get out of here! Come on!" Yeah. So the woman who turns out to be his mo- mother, like, shoes him out. But they also tell the the actress, the woman, um, not to worry because he's impotent. <laughs> right. As if he doesn't have enough <laughs> problems already. But we see him back in his bedroom, mm-hmm. and he's looking at pictures of the. You know, binding and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and he is clearly masturbating. Mm-hmm. So it, it's something about <laughs> when it's an actual woman. There's he some, can't do anything. Yeah, he can't right. do anything. It has to be a picture. It has to be something abstract. And he, there's a funny scene where he throws the used tissue. Yes. In with like a pile of others in a his huge closet. pile. Yeah. And he says, like, this is your graveyard. Yeah. I thought that was fucking hilarious. And see, this is one of those parts where I was like, this is technically very sad, but also funny. It's so funny the way they frame it. It's very funny. <laughs> he just keeps them all. Um, so yeah. So the other things about him we know is he he's a businessman. He works at a local company, um, but otherwise it's just that it's just work and his sad life at home. Mm-hmm. He's Jack, having breakfast. Jacking with, off. Yeah, yeah. He's having <laughs> breakfast with his mom. And he's talking about how he's impotent, mm-hmm. and she tells him you can do it if you want to. Uh, but he blames his impotence on her, right? And the the GI she was having sex with named Jimmy. Yeah, he says uh, killing Jimmy traumatized him. Yeah, and so now like that's just a block that comes up in his mind. Right. If he th- is even like trying to be intimate with a woman. Mm-hmm. And we see one of the women in um, Mio's employ, Taru. I think her name is. Yes. She's kind of flirting, like helping him with his tie and stuff, and she's mm-hmm. shooing him off. So she's that you know. Overbearing, yeah. domineering mother. Yeah, she, it seems like she doesn't mind this situation so much because she gets to keep control. Yeah, it's very like helicopter parent, right. kind of thing. And then, yeah, this is when we see because we we see the outside of their building and it's like a like a grocery store, like a small yeah. grocery store or something that obviously also sells <laughs> pornography. A little uh, front there for their activities. And Makoto's at work. And he's told that the boss wants to see him. Yep. They say, um, Senzo, the boss of the company. Yes. He has a he has a need of you for some reason. And it's funny because he gets up to go to the office. And his supervisor's like, no, no, not at the office. Yeah, he's at home. He's at home. Go to, to his go house. There. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to some big lavish estate. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a girl who's at least partially nude, mm-hmm. bent over. Yep. This is one of the maids at this estate. Yes, Haru, we find out, right? Yeah, Haru, right. played by Hajiri Abe. Um, and there's this older man. Which who, is Senzo. So he is Senzo. Played he's, by he's Nagatoshi the, Sakamoto. He's the boss. 
And uh, he's putting caterpillars on her ass. Yep. And reviling in excitement at the fact that she's like squirming from it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which pretty much already tells you everything you need to know about his personality. Yeah. And he says something about how his wife won't have sex with him, so he punishes the maid. Mm-hmm. Yep. He says, to uh, you jealous. have to bear it because she rejects my desires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, then he ups the ante, though. He does. Um, he produces... And this, again, is like... It shouldn't be comical, but it is. Because the way they frame it... Because like he, he draws out the little, like... Uh, like an enema bottle. The little enema bottle. And, like, holds it up. And then the camera <laughs> zooms in on it. Right, right. And then he puts it in. And, of course, again, this is Japan. They're not showing anything graphic. Right. It's all hidden. Because mm-hmm. they don't show genitalia. Yeah, they're, they're behind, like, a garden hedge. When this yeah, is going on. Yeah, so you're not seeing insertions and things like mm-hmm. that. But there's sound effects. <laughs> sound effects yeah. <laughs> and then it like, cuts to the maid's face, making this big surprise. Yeah. You know, <laughs> look. Uh, I felt very sorry for her because she was really cute. and Yeah, and it's the whole maid thing, <laughs> yeah. too. I, I, there's a name for that, too, I'm sure. Uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but there's also a funny line where he's like asking her what's inside her ass. Yeah. <laughs> she says, I don't know. And he's like, you're about to find out. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's stuff like that that make this funny. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, Senzo's a real fucker, man. Like He's a fucker, all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as she kind of runs off, he takes to bothering his wife now. Yeah, who's taking a bath. She's like in this bathhouse. And he like pulls open the window and is like scheming on her. <laughs> he's like... And he's like, I guess he's so horny, he's like a zombie almost. The way he moves, it's like he can't quite walk. And she immediately is like berating him for it. Right. And he's like, I can't help myself. She wants nothing to do with it, right? Mm -hmm. She she even says like, you should divorce me, but he won't. Mm -hmm. He refuses to. Uh, So she runs away. He's chasing her. It's funny because about the time he gets crawled into the bathroom, she has like exited and already put a kimono back on. Yes. Uh, so Makoto gets there and is greeted by the maid who takes him up to the garden and they see uh, Shizuko and his boss arguing, yeah, arguing. going back and forth. And Shizuko has like these gardening shears. And she says she's going to cut her, she's going to kill herself if he doesn't leave her alone. But instead he cuts off, she cuts off one of the uh, roses. Yep. And he's upset about this. He's very protective. His garden, her. his lavish garden. That's yeah, so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but during all this, she had scraped her breast on a thorn, so there's blood. <laughs> he says it's the thing he hates most, but it seems to excite him even more. <laughs> and then he, she slaps him in the face with the flowers, and it cuts his face, and mm-hmm. he freaks out. It's just, it's a very amusing performance. It, 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 see, it's like I don't know if this is parody or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard to gauge the the feel. Yeah. Uh, but then the funny thing is like this is all going on and then Makoto's just there mm-hmm. and it's like Sinzo forgot he sent for him or something he's like oh yeah you <laughs> oh yeah right right <laughs> and the next we see him he's got like bandages on his face yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but what we learn is that um, Sinzo was snooping around at the office and found a bunch of bondage photos in Makoto's desk yeah shouldn't leave your porn at work dude and he he's kind of made like a logic jump here that's a little weird but he assumes that because Makoto has these photos, he is in fact a rope master yes. and is skilled in all of this. Yes. And he decides that he needs those services. Mm-hmm. 
He wants him to punish his prideful wife. Yes, and train her. Break her pride. Yep. Make her give in to all his weird, perverted desires. Mm-hmm. And he says a little bit about Haru here, too. He says that uh, Shizuku came from a rich family. Mm-hmm. Haru was their maid. She came with them. So they're, like, very inseparable. And close Package friends. deal. Yeah. And Haru is very forward-thinking and very very modern about everything. Mm. And she's imparted a lot of those those terrible progressive ideas on yeah, the Shizuko. Right. Which is why she's so resistant to uh, Sinzo's per- weird perversions. <laughs> and we see Shizuko arranging flowers with her husband's blood on them, too. Which mm-hmm. is, like, so Japanese. <laughs> I love that shot, too. Yeah, it's, it's so nice. cool. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, at first Makoto disagrees because he's like, "I'm, I'm not gonna." Yeah, he's like, "Seriously, take your wife?" And that's weird. He insists. He's like, "I'm your boss. I'm mm-hmm. commanding you." He could fire him if he doesn't do it, right? So I was like, "Fine." And that night, he's practicing tying knots on a blow up doll, which is <laughs> also fucking hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> and he starts beating it and stomping on it. <laughs> Our guy don't have a clue. Yeah. And it seems to excite him when he's mm-hmm. being violent. Oh, yeah, he's all. getting into it. Yeah. So he says, I'll do it. <laughs> and they concoct this whole scheme to um, abduct her. So, it seems overly elaborate. Yeah, the next it? day they're in town and they're at like a. It's like some party. It's like a, a little gathering. party, a yeah. little gathering. And Sinzo secretly drugs her tea with mm-hmm. sleeping pills. And it's funny because she passes out. And they're like, oh, no, something's wrong with her. And then immediately a guy is like, oh, hey, I'm a doctor. Yeah, they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, Makoto trips him and everything. And they're trying to usher him out. And he's like, but I'm a doctor. <laughs> um, yes, but they decide, oh, Makoto, she doesn't feel good. Take her home for me since you're my subordinate. Mm-hmm. And his boss says <laughs> to give her an enema after tying her up and take pictures. Mm-hmm. He wants he's, to see the pictures. He says, this will ensure that she never leaves me. And we should set up now at this point. I think it's when they had their first discussion, but kind of the only big stipulations that Sinzo sets is that number one, got to give her back when she's trained. Mm-hmm. And then number two, you can't have sex with yeah, her. Yeah, can't have sex with her. Yeah, he tells her that here. He tells him that here. Yeah. But. But. <laughs> on the way back to his house. When you're a weird perverted old guy and you just gave away your wife to a dude. Yeah, what do you expect? <laughs> Uh, so Zuko's in the back seat. She's kind of waking up and you know, out uh, in and out of consciousness. Yeah, he stops off in like a little field in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and Makoto's kind of molesting her and realizes he's getting excited, mm-hmm. which yeah. doesn't happen with real women. However, the very knowledge of that triggers that memory. Yeah, and suddenly he's back there. Yeah, he thinks he sees Jimmy outside the mm-hmm. the uh, car, and it makes him stop. Yeah. So reluctantly, he takes Shizuko home. And she wakes up, finding herself tied up mm-hmm. on on his bed. Right, that's the first. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and as she calls out for help, this draws in the mother, Mio. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool with all this. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because she's like, "Oh, please help me, your uh, your son. I don't know. He's uh-huh. he's kidnapped me." And then she's like, "Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and." <laughs> and she basically encourages him. She's like, "Yeah, do do whatever you want. Go ahead, rape her. Yeah, whatever. Just use her." She's like, oh, she's obviously, she's a rich man's wife. You know, she's prideful. Mm-hmm. But let's see how prideful she is when she shits herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he says he's not going to do anything. He says that, you know, she's so beautiful and yeah. so perfect, and I could never do anything like that to her. But then his mom comes in with this big-ass fucking syringe thing. Yeah. Yeah, minus the needle. 
Panning huge. <laughs> I don't know how many yeah. okay. milliliters okay, are this in scene, this thing. I don't, I've been thinking all week how to talk about this scene. So they give her an enema. Uh-huh. And they really build up the moment. They do. She's like writhing in pain yeah. and all this stuff and trying not to do what you would do. And then I'm just going to get us through this part. So it happens. However, they chose to make the sound effects be like the... It's amazing. <laughs> the fucking roar of car crashes. It's amazing. And... It sounds like the Millennium Falcon when it won't start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's all these like grinding gears and mechanical noises. It's great. It's amazing. I don't know if there's some sort of taboo against having those actual sounds I don't or know. not. Or it, it's definitely a choice. It's a choice. But he also... I fucking up. lost it. I was like, I should not laugh at this, but I am dying right See, now. See, that's the thing. Is this supposed to be funny? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it is. I laughed. And Mikado has this plastic bag <laughs> that he uses to, to collect everything. That was... Um, Tiffany reluctantly watched this with me. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that I'm revealing this... Um, <laughs> she doesn't listen to this. She won't know. Um, but the whole time, like in that buildup, she was like, uh, "They need to put a bedpan or put a." Bed- <laughs> they're just gonna let her shit all over the bed and then just clean the bed or what? Right, right. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, do you really want to clean that up? <laughs> but again, he doesn't really know what he's doing. So right, but he finds this all very exciting. Yes, it um, it kind of breaks through that mental block he had, and he finds himself. Past all his issues in this moment. He's able to have sex with a woman, mm-hmm. albeit by force. Now, again, we're not going to play-by-play these sex scenes, but no, no, I no. wanted to talk about this because we'll I We'll talk noticed, about the funny ones. With we'll talk about the effects. funny ones, yeah. But um, <laughs> So this is 74. Uh, Zoom Up Rape Site was 79. Yeah. Do you feel like the actual like sex scenes here like kind of... I don't know. They were kind of like lacking in a way, almost. Well, right, yes. They were, they were very short, very like... I don't know. I felt like Zoom Up like staged them better. This movie's very not that interested in the sex, actual yeah. sex, as much as the bondage and humiliation. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. That that was kind of the vibe I was getting. I was wondering if it was just right. a me thing or no, no. It's definitely mm-hmm. the angle this is going in. Uh, and there's another hilarious scene where he's outside the shop. And he's burning his big pile of tissues. Yep. And there's this little kid watching. He's like on a tricycle, like watching. He's like, yep, I don't need this anymore. And the kid says, like, what are you doing? And he says, I'm burning away my past. <laughs> That's so overdramatic. <laughs> um, so the train commences. He, he's tying her up and doing different stuff. Uh, we get a scene where he reports into Sinzo and, yeah. and gives him um, first some, some photos, but then he gave him the audio recording uh-huh. of the enema. Yeah, and, and a box of some of her excretions. Yeah. And I love the scene of, like, he leaves, and then Sinzo's like, oh, i got to listen to the tape. And he's just, like, listening to it with wonder, and then one of his subordinates comes in. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I told you to knock. <laughs> I did, sir. You didn't hear me. And he also asks Makoto when the training will be done. And he says, oh, it never ends. Mm-hmm. Which is the first sign that, uh-oh, yeah. hmm. this little plan's going, going to shit. Um, however, <laughs> going to shit. at the same time, Makoto's also getting attached to her now. Oh, yes. He's finding he has actual emotional feelings for her. <laughs> to the woman he is abducted um, and raped. <laughs> however, after that check-in with the boss, he goes back home mm. and finds a bit of treachery has gone down. Yep. While he's gone... Mio and her staff decide, oh, let's take Shizuko down there and yep. put her through the ringer. She's in the basement. 
And he conveniently gets home right about the time where they've already tortured her a bunch. And the kind of the lead guy that leads all the torturing of the, the shop. He the decide, rope master guy. The, the rope master, I would assume. <laughs> he decides he's going to rape Shizuko. Mm. But just then, Makoto comes home and kind of breaks it up. Yeah. And he kind of lays down this law of like, hey, no one can touch her unless yeah. I'm present. Right. Period. Right. Then he um, has sex with her to the sounds of smooth jazz. Yeah. <laughs> Which getting getting that smooth jazz in there, man. Yeah, I was gonna have the jazz. Yeah, the soundtrack is not as good as <clears throat> Zoom Up. No, it's very. Um, you don't notice it a lot of the time. It's traditional. Yeah. It's that sort of yeah, just background. Music. Not offensive, not out of place, but yeah. it's also not really remarkable in any right. way. Um, and so we start to get a rift between Mio mm-hmm. and Makoto. Yep. He is actually kind of coming into his own and taking agency of his situation, and he's. Telling his mom no. Yep, and he's like giving <clears throat> he's like giving Shizuku a, a bath while she's all trussed up. She seems to be enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So either she's getting into this or she's playing him. Right, you kind of get that vibe. It could be like a Stockholm syndrome thing yeah. almost, but or she's just trying to bite her time until she. But interestingly, starts. and I think there's the payoff for this at the end. We don't get a lot of Shizuko's kind of mental state in all of this. They keep that very occluded from you. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, during that bath, isn't that when she says, she asks if Makoto will protect her? Yeah, she yeah, says, yeah. she asks him to never leave her and she loves him. Yep. She says she wants to spend the rest of her life yep. with him. <clears throat> the next morning he tells his mom he's getting married. <laughs> and this, again, he says, I'm getting married They're at the breakfast table. And then you hear that bridal march sound. His mom gets up, <laughs> walks over to the radio, turns it off and the music stops. It was diegetic the whole time. Hilarious. Yeah, the more we talk through it, yeah, I think this has to have the comedy tag. Yeah, it is. There's it's no funny. way it can. It's very funny. Um, yeah, so in the end of this, though, she says, I'll, I'll never allow it. I forbid it. And then he says, I don't care. You're an old hag. Yep. <laughs> so the, the battle lines are kind of being drawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, is this... Um, isn't this? He goes to check in with Sinzo, right? But then he runs into Haru. Yeah, he yeah. goes. He goes. His boss tells him it's time to return my wife, and he he's just like, says no. And he's like, ah. <laughs> yeah. He he runs into Haru outside, and she kind of wants an audience with him. Yeah. to talk about Shizuko. She wants to know where Shizuko is and wants to see her and all that stuff. And Haru drops some interesting, more uh, backstory context to mm-hmm. everything that's going on with this whole weird, fucked up situation, and we learned that Shizuko actually had a lover. It was kind of like her true love, who she was really into. Yeah. She wanted to spend the rest of her life with. Well, I mean, they're, they're having tea together. Mm-hmm. And at this very tea house is where they used to hook up, Shizuku mm-hmm. and her former lover. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Haru says, okay, I'll take you to see her, but you have to have sex with me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this, like, overwhelms Haru, and she, like, faints. So he starts doing his thing and uh, wakes up during... Yeah. But no, I was talking about the context of the the guy that Shizuko was into. Um, he... Oh, well, he wasn't, like, wealthy and stuff. Yeah, he wasn't wealthy, so she had to be married yeah, off I to think Sinzo. her family wanted yeah. him to marry her to marry someone who was, mm-hmm. like, rich. I knew there was some reason that that broke yeah. up. Oh, sorry. Because yes. then that defines kind of the rift, is that she doesn't really even want to be with Sinzo, mm-hmm. but she has to. Yeah. And while Makoto is having sex with Haru, she is crying out Shizuko's name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we learned that she's 
got some feelings for Shizuko. She is obsessed with Shizuko just like everybody else in the movie. Mm-hmm. Which rapidly becomes evident. So after that little escapade, he returns home to find that, oh, wouldn't you know it, Mother has been plotting again. Mm-hmm. And it was at this point I was kind of like, dude, why would you even leave her alone yeah, at he, this point? He's getting overly confident. Yeah. But he gets back and he hears moans and stuff and he goes to his room and there's a red light on mm-hmm. and he sees a guy on top of Shizuko. Not just a, a guy. A black man. It's Jimmy. And it's Jimmy. <laughs> uh, so he grabs a gun that's laying there, but it doesn't fire. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy, in quotation marks, gets up and comes over and starts like choking him. But his mom comes out and says, you can stop now. <laughs> and he's, he asks for his money. She gives it to him. What's funny is when he steps into the room, it's like the scene, right? Right. Dude's naked. Yeah. He's going at Shizuko. Mm-hmm. But then whenever he kind of snaps out of it, the dude's got clothes on. <laughs> like right. he's, he's not even naked. He didn't, it doesn't seem like he even really did anything. Yeah. Like they just, just being there preyed him. on his mind, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this breaks Makoto. Yeah. He's like, this is punishment for betraying me. Uh, Makoto is now impotent again. He tries to have sex with Shizuko and can't. And I have in my notes here that I think maybe he's just having trouble performing in front of his mother. But, you know, maybe not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, however, he decides to continue the training. Mm-hmm. Almost vindictively at this point. Right. It's like right. He, he was denied whatever happiness was building between them. And now he's like, whatever, I'm just going to use you, I right. guess. So this is where it cuts to what he... She wants to go out. She yep. like begs him to go he's out. He's hogtied, just mm-hmm. in his bedroom. And he finally decides to, but he takes her out on a leash. Okay. This is also very funny. Because there's like a hard cut to them in the park. Yeah. And he's holding a rope, and it's tied around her. And she's basically running around him like a dog. <laughs> yeah. In the yard. And there's it's a park. It's a public park. I mm-hmm. mean, there are people around. Mm-hmm. I know in Japan, people pride themselves on minding their own fucking business but Jesus you know <laughs> um, so then they're like well they have a little conversation they kind of it's almost like a picnic but not really yeah and they're like sitting by this fountain and she's still kind of she's still tied up and stuff mm-hmm. you know people are walking around um, but she's accepted it she seems to be mm. and she has to go to the bathroom he, he's very reluctant. He's like, I don't know. There's yeah. no easy way to do it. I just have to untie you. Yeah, are you going to run away on me, basically? And then, and then she's like, I won't run away. Mm-hmm. I'll come right back. Yep. So we see her in the bathroom, and she's like reading all the graffiti. It's all pervy shit. <laughs> yeah. And he's kind of waiting and waiting, and then he says, oh, oh. he goes, goes to check. Mm-hmm. And she's not there. And he goes and kind of just like is on the grass, like, shit, she got away. Mm-hmm. He's, but, he's panicking on what I'm going to do. Yeah, but then she shows up. Yep. She came back. Mm-hmm. Which, it, it's more of a context thing later, but I almost wonder if she was playing with him in that moment. Like she was kind of hiding off to the side. Yeah. To see what he would do. Yeah. Um, she wants to go see a movie. Yep. And he says, oh, like a porno? She says, sure. But in the scene, it's an interracial couple, and it mm-hmm. triggers him. Yeah. He immediately is like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Let's go. But it also unleashes a memory hidden deep in his psyche. Yeah, because he, he makes some complaints, and then the dude's like, hey, shut up, shut up, man. Yeah, the guy's like, shut the fuck up. And then, she, to watch and the then she's like, no, no, just watch a little more. And then as he's watching it, yeah, the, the old gears start to turn up there. 
Yep. And he remembers. Yeah, he remembers the truth. He didn't kill Jimmy. His mother did. Yep. And let him take, you know, all the responsibility for it all these years. Yeah, she kind of put the blame on him because he's a kid, so mm-hmm. what are they going to do? Yep. <laughs> so he immediately calls his mother mm-hmm. at a public phone booth whilst having sex with Shizuko. <laughs> yep, because now it's, it, the blo- middle block is clear. There's no problems. And this is great because people are walking right past them. And some are looking. Some are obviously just look straight mm-hmm. ahead. Look straight yeah, ahead. Like the one guy kind of pauses and you see him peering in the window a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I probably wondered if they filmed that Gonzo style. I don't know. Surely not, right? You would think not. <laughs> it looks convincing. I don't know. Um, but the mother's talking and she she faints. Yeah. I thought she had a heart attack. Is she dead? <laughs> Jesus. That would have been quite the escalation. <laughs> but apparently they get picked up by the police. Yep. As you all want to do. Unsurprisingly. Sex in the public phone booth. Um, and Toyoma comes out as boss. And he's taking Shizuko. And he's all like, Makoto's like, no, she's she's with me now. Yeah, she wants to be with me. And she's like, nope, I'm going back to my husband now. Yep, she, she, basically, says, she basically says that Makoto turned her into a slut, yeah. which is what her husband wanted. Your, your training worked. And so now she's going to be happy with the situation. Mm-hmm. And she says she's the devil now. Mm-hmm. And she has a very powerful aura in this moment that she didn't really have yeah. earlier on. Mm-hmm. But she says, you can come with us if you want. Yep. Which the mother's like devastated. Cause yeah. Like, no! Yeah. So he gets in the car with him and the mother's like chasing him down the street and everything. Which that's comical too. It is. Her running after them. It really is. Uh, so they're back at their estate and we see Haru walk in on them mm-hmm. as they're having a threesome. Yeah, she's a co's bound up again mm-hmm. and it's just a full on threesome. Yeah. Very awkward. <laughs> Very awkward. <laughs> Very awkward. Uh, it goes on for a really long time and it cuts back to Haru a few times to just see how like and she's devastated. Upset she is. Yeah. And what was the line? I think it's Sinzo that says, or is it... Shizuko. It's Shizuko herself. She says, yeah, Haru, look, this is the is it, this is the god you worshipped or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and she, talking about men, mm-hmm. Shizuko asks if she wants one, and, and Haru says yes. And that's when it ends. Yes. The end. Interesting ending. Happy ending for everyone, except maybe the mother. Which, does she deserve a happy ending? <laughs> no. She's Traumatizing good. your kid. Yeah, it's not cool. Um... So a little extra notes I want to lay down before we hash out some thoughts. Okay. Um, so this film is considered super important from a historical standpoint, mostly for its artistic merits and the things it did. It was the first, you know, S&M Roman porno that they tried. It started a whole series. Yep. Um, generally, though, Wife to be Sacrificed is more highly regarded by critics. It's more artistic, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yes. Uh, again, like I said, Dan was not happy with the film. He did reconcile with them. Um, and I had some commentary from some different film critics. So, uh, just to orient us on like, what do people think about this mm-hmm. movie? Okay. So, uh, Azumi Evers, uh, said Nakatsu's somewhat innocent approach inadvertently adds a lot of comedy to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but summed up the review with the heroine who was masochistically trained by men was actually controlling them the whole time. To me, despite all the humiliation suffered by heroines like Naomi Tani this is the fundamental truth behind many of the 70s-era Japanese sex films. Okay, that's an interpretation. Mm-hmm. Which I do like that interpretation, because if you take that end 
and that she flips everything and has all the control, mm-hmm. you can kind of seed it backwards through the film and see where that was like being laid down from the start. Like when she runs off, maybe she was fucking with him. Right. Just to watch him freak out first before she came back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Weissers. We talked about them in the last episode. Here's what they said. They called it well-made garbage, but also added that it was one of the best of Nakatsu's films in this style. Okay. Um, I forgot to bring Behind the Pink Curtain mm-hmm. with me today, but um, I do remember the little passage about it. Um, I believe what Sharp wrote was that the... Old Jasper. Old Jasper, yeah. Um, that the um, the reputation of the film exceeds the quality of the movie. Mm, that's a good way of putting it. Which I think that. is a very fair assessment yeah, of this film. It is. Um, which, by the way, Behind the Pink Curtain, I wanted to highlight this real quick. Last episode, I was like, oh, it's the Bible of being into pink films. You absolutely need it. Mm-hmm. I don't retract that statement. However, since recording that last episode, I've learned that it is out of print, like super out of print, and you can't find used copies either, really. There was like one used copy on Amazon as a collectible for like $480. Well, if you're a true believer, <laughs> you will spend the money to get it. Um, so I'm saying... You know, be on the lookout for that book. Hopefully, they'll reprint it or yeah. reissue it. Or if you see it cheap in a used bookstore, pick it the fuck up. If you're in a half-price books and you stumble on it, <laughs> immediately buy it. Hopefully, they don't know how much it's worth. Right. Which is sometimes a thing at half-price books. But uh, yeah, so um, little like follow-up continuations. So Nakatsu made several sequels: um, Flower and Snake: Sketch of Hell in '85, Flower and Snake Three: Punishment in '86. Flower and Snake, White Uniform, Rope Slave, also in 86. <laughs> I love these titles. And capping it off in 87 with Flower and Snake, Ultimate Rope Discipline. Oh. Which is an amazing title. Wasn't there a remake? There is a remake. Yeah. That was my next stopping point. There was a series of remakes made starting in 2004, and these were actually released by Toei. Okay. So it's actually nothing That's... to do with Nakatsu. It's kind of the other, mm-hmm. other big studio. Uh, but yeah, 2004, they made a Flower and Snake... And then that got several sequels, a Flower and Snake Part 2 in 2005, a Part 3 in 2010, and then a, not connected, but titled Flower and Snake Zero in 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, The 2004 film is really only related by the use of names and themes. Um, It doesn't really share any of the plot details too much. Uh, It just kind of is trying to do that spirit of these S&M Roman pornos. Got it. I looked up the plot of the 2004 one. I have the disc. I've just never watched it. It was much more of like it's um, Shizuko and her husband, and she's into her husband. She likes her husband, and he has debt to the Yakuza, and he ends up like giving his wife over to them to settle the debt, mm-hmm. and then they do a bunch of the Kenbaku torture to her. Okay. And then I think it's like a bad ending where at the end she's all into it, and hmm. oh, their relationship is ruined. Okay. That's maybe selling it short, but that yeah, was sure. that was the synopsis. Um, but that 2004 remake is also considered sort of a watershed moment regarding Japanese film censorship. Apparently it super pushed the envelope, and it had some of the... People say it has some of the most extravagant scenes of sexual cruelty and graphic nudity that's ever been passed off in a mainstream film. Maybe at the time? For the time, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's still fairly shocking if you're not... You know, jaded like we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, that's all the little ancillary notes I have. Okay, all right. Oh, there's one more thing I did want to highlight. Mm-hmm. In the cast and crew, 
they actually had a bondage supervisor as one of their crew members. Wow, that's a credit. It was uh, Hiroshi Arato. <laughs> well, shout out to that guy. Yeah, all right. He did a good job. <laughs> this was a good knot, sir. All right, what do you think about Flower and Snake? You know, um, my feelings are a little little weird, a little, little hard to quantify. Oddly aroused? <laughs> I don't know that it really aroused me that much. I do think, so I'll give it this credit. So the whole like Kenbaku thing, I do think there is like a visual beauty to that and the way it looks. There's an aesthetic. Um, there's definitely an aesthetic to that. I think it's cooler in some other things I've seen. Um, these are actually mainstream films, but it's um, Teruo Ishii has done several films kind of in this vein. Mm. What is it? It's, um, it's like Inferno of Torture and Shogun's Torture of Oh yeah, those are, those are older films. Those are a little older and predate this. But those kind of have the thing where it's like the woman and she's like suspended yeah. with ropes in and like the, a weird shape. I think that has sort of like this visual aesthetic to it that's really cool and really visually striking. Also set during like the Edo period yeah. you're talking about too. So mm-hmm. the dawn of the whole infatuation of this sort of mm-hmm. thing. I think that kind of stuff's cool. Um, how it was here, like it was visually interesting, but it wasn't that like ultra just like all impressive yeah mix of eroticism and art and well the whole S&M thing I mean it's not my bag you mm-hmm. know I can see how some people were into it and that's cool not shaming at all but yeah it, it's it's not my bag yeah so as an erotic film it certainly doesn't work for me personally mm-hmm. um go ahead please uh, and I felt like first. um right this is kind of a mythic film if you're into all this stuff you've always heard people talk yeah. about oh flower and snake right so in a way I kind of thought it was going to be like more extreme mm-hmm. than it actually is. It's actually, again, like you said, it's more tame in some ways. That might be the next movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure once you start churning out sequels, you got to up the ante. Right, so. right. Um, but yeah, I thought um, I thought the central story was good, the way it was told and composed. Um, the whole like backstory of Makoto and this like mental block that he has that was an interesting premise. Yeah. Um, I agree with you that it was kind of a little undercooked. Yeah, very They definitely much. could have done a little more there with that. Um, that's the difference between this being a thriller or not, I think, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, I can see why Naomi Tani is this queen of Nakatsu. She, she's very good. We didn't really talk about how um, good the actors are. The performance is just great across mm-hmm. the board. Um, but yeah, she is not only gorgeous, but incredible actress. And yeah, she went through all these scenes just... She Perfectly. really sells that mixture of like pain and pleasure. Mm-hmm. And that's like, I think the film wouldn't really work right. No, she didn't have that. She's the linchpin of the whole yeah. thing. Um, again, I was kind of weird on the comedy stuff. I was like, is this intentional? Is it not? Um, now that we've talked through it, I, I do think it is intentional. I think it's intentional. And maybe that's even supposed <laughs> to be kind of a lever to the... Especially the sound effects. That's <laughs> yeah. not an accident. That, that That's like your release lever to the degrading elements, yeah. so it's not so overwhelming and stuff. Yeah. It's not a... Um, it's like the difference between like a Serbian film and something else, right? Right, yeah. Which even that had some comedy, but then... Sure. You can only blunt it down so much. Yeah. Um, so overall, I think I liked it. And I actually gave it a four star. Really? And I think, okay. I don't know that I enjoyed it four stars worth, but I feel like it's so iconic hmm. and so impressive that I just felt like it needed to be at four stars for me. Okay. All right. What was Zoom Up at for you? I can't remember. Nick also gave it four stars. Yeah, these are not on the same level, dude. No. No. <laughs> you know what? I'm going down to three. Okay. Okay. I think that's, yeah, I think you were being a bit too... Generous. Yeah. I'm letting the the legacy of the yep. movie overweigh yep. my personal feelings. That's right. But we're all about personal feelings. So, <laughs> Flower and Snake, 
I liked it. I think it's got a lot of good elements. Um, I think if you're holding this up against Zoom Up, Rape Site, that one's definitely better. Yes. This is a, as a film, as a movie you can watch. Yes. Um, this one, though, if you're into the SNM thing, then hey, this movie's got you. Right. It's got, probably all about It's you. got you that in spades. Yeah. Um, as just a explorer of weird cinema and this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I think it's worth a watch just because it's so. Oh, yeah. It's worth a watch. So, so legendary. Right. I agree. But where are you at on this? I'm pretty much where you are, mm. honestly. Um, I'm wavering between a two and a half and a three. Mm. So you're like I, the same wavering, just a step lower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably going to go, I may as well go with a three. Okay. Because I really do like the humor of it. Yeah. Uh, and talking about it makes me realize like, yes, this is intentional, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and if it's not, it's still hilarious. <laughs> it's just so over the top. It's hard for it not to be a little bit funny. Which, you know, um, it's funny, too, because um, I've got, like, weird bootleg copies of some of the remakes. And I think it's Flower and Snake Zero. The premise of it is, like, super serious. And it's, like, women being abducted for, like, a thing where they get, like, tortured and then killed kind of thing. Like, almost like a saw mashed in element. Wow. Yeah. So, it, it's funny, to Like, those were my perceptions of, like, what these movies are. Mm. And then to go to the original and it's this, I was like, oh. Right. Interesting. It's, it's almost chased in comparison, yeah. right? Um, I mean, it's a fun little movie. It's 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 harmless. I think I could see it being pretty shocking at the time. Though. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I mean, I didn't hate watching it. It's not a long movie. It's only seventy four minutes, uh, and and there are some really funny parts. <laughs> Tawny is attractive, and she's really good in the role. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a pleasant enough watch. I, I would give it three stars. I don't think I like it's something... Unless you're really interested in old pink films, mm-hmm. you really don't need to watch this. You know <laughs> you, you know who you are, and if this sort of thing appeals to you, then seek it out. But oh yeah, this is never something I would recommend to just a casual fan of cult <laughs> movies. You know, yeah, yeah. Whereas Zoom Up, I would, yeah, because that works more as a movie. Yeah, and like I said in that episode, that's kind of a bridge. If you're already into those sort of horror films, yeah, it sort of like treads the gap for you, right? This, like you said, it's pretty much purely an erotic film yeah. from the start. There's not much plot. There's not much there really. Mm-hmm. Whereas Zoom Up has so many layers you can enjoy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm at three. Killer. Well, we're like right in lockstep on yep. these. However, we have one more to go. I'm sure do. And it's your pick, my friend. Okay, this is one, even not being that familiar with pink films, I've, I've seen the title before and read it in some books. Mm-hmm. But we're going to go back to 79. Oh, okay. Same year, zoom up, and watch Star of David, Beautiful Girl Hunter. Ah, excellent. I have the disc, so excellent. I'm locked in and good to go. Wonderful. I hope it is enjoyable. I hear it's a bit more extreme. Mm-hmm. So I've never watched it, so it's a good chance to check it off. Excellent. Yeah, it's a blind watch for me, too, so it's a gamble. Awesome. I'm rolling the dice. We'll end with something a little more extreme. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So, yeah, that's fucking episode 69. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) We're so childish. Perfect. (laughs) Um, So, if you made it here to the end, thanks for listening. Thanks for coming on this journey. And what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I'm sorry. Um... Tune in next time to check out um, Star David with us. Yeah. Um, let us know what you've been watching. What have you been watching in the normal world of actual movies that aren't esoteric <laughs> 70s sex films from Japan? Uh, 
We're always looking for recommendations, of course. If you mm-hmm. have a movie you think is interesting or compelling or cool, lay it on us. Or you listen to a prior block and you're like, oh, I wish they would have talked about this movie, though. Mm-hmm. Lay it on us. We'll add it to our list. Every time we end a block, we hit up a listener episode to see what you guys have been watching. We love to watch something new. And we love those because generally, you know, pound for pound, you guys have better taste than we do, I think. Yeah, so yeah we've gotten great suggestions. I've loved all our listener episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just like to hear what you're watching and what you're what you're up to in the, the world of movie enjoying. Yeah. So you can hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up on X. <laughs> God. Hit us up on Instagram. You can always email us at genreexposure at gmail.com. But otherwise, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening